0: You are listening to Noise Extra. I'm Gray Holger here with my co-host Tara Connolly. Hello. And Mike Connolly. Hello. And our guest today is Mitchell Brown. Hey, Mitchell. Hey. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, Mitchell's an old friend, and one of the reasons we're having him on today is because he has a wealth of knowledge of strange records, not not quite noise records, but noise records.
1: But if you play them for people who are expecting music, they might say this is not music. Yeah,
0: yes, yeah. this is
2: definitely in line with our deep roots of noise. We did that record. The Folkways compilation record with Dillaway. Uh, actually, it's been about two years now. Oh, yeah. No. And wow. yeah. Yeah, so this is certainly in line with the, the deep past that ended up birthing a lot of what we talk about on the podcast. And and we've even talked to a lot of people who these types of records were were their intro to what would become noise. Even. Yeah, you just
3: incidentally come across them and then it opens up a whole world of sound.
2: Yeah, I mean, I remember even uh, Pat O'Neill was saying that, you know, these, these types of records were some of the first things he heard that... Yeah got him to start exploring that there's more out there.
0: Yeah, someone like GX, who, you know, the, the Fire 7-inch, like those, yes, those sort of things were recontextualized. And we're actually kind of figuring out what we're going to talk about today well, with I'll Mitchell. Can
1: backstep just a little bit, like yeah. this is exactly the case with me. One of the very first records that my parents ever gave me when I was three or four years old was that Jack Holzman Electra Sound Effects Volume 1 LP. And I put that on alongside my Sesame Street records and thought, like, I'm just listening to another record of music. Like, it's completely next to the album and the Chipmunks as well. Like, it was, you know, it was just another sound event record. And I, I really appreciate that my parents exposed that to me so young.
3: You were just normalized at a young age with the so just wild that, like, sounds Yeah, the records yes. are records. Like <laughs> exactly. I'm just like
1: I'm listening to cool records and they some of them sound like this and other ones sound like this.
0: Yeah. That's that is uh, cool. Mm-hmm. And I think in a, maybe an appreciation like I didn't have that growing up, I but no. to Twisted oh. Sisters. You know, we had a haunted house
3: record and it was awesome. I would love to like throw that on and just, just let it ride. Yeah. Yeah. It was great.
0: So we've we've been sitting here for uh, what feels like an hour having a discussion about what we were gonna talk about, and it's been awesome. And at some point we realized that we should record it because this yes. is it's it's been meta. Awesome. We're talking about what we're gonna talk about. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So Yeah,
3: already already this has become incredibly um, meta and and there <laughs> there are far too many layers even to recount at this point. Um but but just trying to decide. Why we're here and what we're doing has has been a, a wonderful journey. Well, are you speaking just in general? In general, in life? yeah, it's the it, big it's, questions getting, of life. <laughs> why are we here and what are we
2: doing? This is now we've really gone deep. It.
3: Well, no, actually, we're doing the opposite of going deep, and I think you know that's one way to take why are we here and what are we doing. But we're actually bringing why are we here and what are we doing down to a microscopic level. Right. But um, this is great because Mitchell can bring that microscope down to a teeny, tiny, teeny, teeny, um, wild, um, moat. So now I think we started off talking, you know, talking sound effects and then talking about one-off unusual recordings. And then, you know, as, as each cube of his records have revealed, I mean, truly, truly like what, what has your thought process been?
1: Well, uh, a lot of these records, if we just close our eyes and you don't know what record is going on, you could say that this sounds like it could be this or that kind of record, but meaning that it could be a, a documentary record, it could be a sound effects record that was marketed to be a sound effects record or production music or production sound effects that were only for industry use you could close your eyes and not know if you're listening to an experimental record by somebody who intended it to be an experimental music record but we're trying to dissect right specifically the records that weren't made by sound artists trying to m- release their DIY sound project <laughs> these are these actually some in some manner of miracle were managed to be produced by a company for a certain
0: reason or 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 something (laughs) right yeah i mean it's not while it some of these records could sound like it it's not like stockhausen microphony or something right
1: right but if you if you cross into the world of production music and stuff that was not intended to be sold to a consumer in a record store but in fact was meant to be used in television radio or movie production, a lot of those things didn't hit m- movie, television, or radio because they were maybe too far out or maybe too abstract or maybe maybe they were used. But uh, I think a lot of that stuff could enter the sound effects territory too or could enter the the where you might be thinking you're just listening to a sound environment record
0: that's meant to be documenting a sound environment, but it actually could be synthetic. Well, two of the first things that I remember encountering in this world were uh, sounds of the humpback whale or songs of the humpback whale Mm. and the environments series, which uh, a word you just used. And those were meant to be sort of transportive field recording documentation types of records that people would buy because they wanted to feel like they were on a boat or at a lagoon or in a cornfield. Or a forest at night, right? Yeah. But as someone that buys field recording records and noise records, and that's been more of my thing, those are those are also just sort of noise records to me. I mean, I keep them in a separate section of my record collection, but yeah. I also keep like a lot of my more sort of sound art, uh like Henning Christensen or something like that, in in a section right next to it where those sort of things blend to me because of the type of sounds you find on them. So you have a a massive collection of stuff here and you were sort of pointing out different sections within. So this is this room's about (laughs) twenty-five percent.
4: I'm so happy. Um,
0: But
1: uh I was gonna say that like for a couple decades I've been doing radio where I'm trying to play all of these records in one big journey where you can't tell like, necessarily what what direction or what, what caused someone to make the record. It's just sound is sound. So I, I would play Stockhausen next to, you know, or on top of, an uh, environment record.
3: So in your experience in playing these, do you think that any of the sound effects records had a practical application and would be, in any way, you would be able to use them as sound effects in a live setting?
1: In a well, I they were made on a large scale by some pretty large m- m- record companies that, that they must have had a market for them. They must have sold them even in department stores, and that's probably where my parents they probably got that electro record at Kmart or something. It probably was a dollar ninety nine. It was probably priced to sell.
3: And what was it that we were listening to earlier that was going to be um, sound effects for home videos? Well, this, I think, that was is so a mockery.
1: Wild. This is Emery Cook mm-hmm. uh, with the Cook Laboratories label. He's an audiophile fellow who was about doing the document documentary-type recordings of calypso bands and uh, trains and oceans and just capturing environments. And on the side, too, he put out a bunch of novelty LPs that were disguised as being uh audiophile sound effects records but they're just too absurd they they like they had no actual uh <laughs> or maybe i mean if the, if people did try to do home movies and use the this uh record right here the cook's tour of high fidelity if they really tried to use it for the do it yourself hi-fi uh <laughs> soundtrack to your home movie i mean you i'd love to see that home movie. you would have an
3: absurdist home or at least it would become one
1: yeah (laughs) probably anybody who really embraced that record back then had a good sense of humor too
0: so uh, i feel like uh, cook laboratories is something that we'll probably have to revisit i feel like that's an episode in and of itself yeah Uh, yeah, in in a deep kind of way and you mentioned train records that's another one to me that those those you'd have to have I think Damien <laughs> Romero yeah, well, would have to be, yeah, on board for that. He episode. did an amazing, uh, like two plus hour mix of Train records that he had sent me many years ago, and it's it's fantastic and phenomenal. And that was I,
2: even the the name of the eyeball. Is, the Yeah, the name of the <laughs> oh, <series>. yeah is <laughs> yeah. in reference yeah. to
1: that. Yeah, well, this goes back very far. Damien had a tradition for the KXLU fundraiser edition of his psychotechnics program. Uh, from midnight to two a.m., he would play two hours of train records every year. I don't—I mean, he may still do it. He was doing it for uh, every year for fifteen years in a row that I was tuning, and I was like, "Cool, it's this again." That was his tradition. Maybe that's what he thinks makes people want to donate
4: to the <laughs> yeah, yeah. To the <laughs> support KXLU.
1: They want to hear more chains. So- <laughs>
0: So, in the in the realm of train records, what other sort of records do you think of? Like, what what's adjacent to that within your record collection?
1: Hmm. Well, apparently there there was such a subsect of train enthusiasts, you know, back in the '60s, uh, where model trains were really popular. Like people who could afford to have a big train set up in their basement. Mm-hmm. They, that was a a big hobby, and I think those. Those Argo records and all the I mean, so many different labels that were putting out train records were probably selling them to that market. I d- I don't know. Damien would be a good one to talk to about that. But
3: I've been to an event for train enthusiasts where they roll a few trains by, and and everybody's just waiting for the for you know to see it, and then yeah. then you're done.
0: A friend of the podcast <laughs> had their wedding at the train museum here in uh, Griffith Park. Wow. Yeah. Oh, at, uh, a travel town. Travel town. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, surely
1: there must be some kind of boat society or something that like <laughs> that l- liked the sounds of a particular fleet of boats. I mean, I, Steam I, ships. I, I've got a bunch of those kinds of records, a bunch of boat records, but I don't think they're trying to document one particular. boat. I should. I, we should look at them before we even. <laughs> well, you <laughs> try have to insects
3: figure. as well, like nature birds, bird calls. Yeah,
1: oh, I, I got assume. a lot of bird records. Yeah, the Sounds of Nature label and the Droll Yankees label. These are deep labels. They like put out dozens of titles over the course of a decade or two, and like we could do a show that's just on those on Droll Yankees and Sound of Nature, and Volquez did that too. They, they have. Dozens of those kinds of records.
0: Yeah, the Folkways record we discussed with dillaway was sort of more musical in nature, while still being very sort of avant, you know. But when I think of Folkways, the you know the big ones like Sounds of the Junkyard, right? That's the the right. kind of like the noise record I think people think of when they think of the Folkways stuff, right? But there's so much variety in there. I mean, there's like children's music. There's so much stuff that that Folkways did that's not quite that. But I see here you have a. a few folkways selections so there's a bunch up there but um the folkways
1: were unique in that they did do early experimental music also and they did documentary records too and so there's i feel like sounds of the junkyard is kind of a blur between the two and like they did science series records and speech after removal of of the larynx was considered a quote-unquote science series but that that's borderline. It's like cross, it's blurring the boundaries of all, all these other things that Folkways released, I think.
3: We're going to have to have a pile of organic sounds that have been captured and inorganic.
2: Well, well, that's when we were sort of discussing the different avenues of this world, you were breaking down a little bit of the, I guess, categories. Mm-hmm. The idea of documentation or the idea of, novelty idea. So in your mind, what are the broad categories of this world?
1: I mean, I know there's many in there. This this is a a big answer. I mean, we've, we've we've touched on most of them uh, so far. Like, so records that were intended for television, film, radio production, sound effects records that were marketed to consumers. So just, do-it-yourself home movie enthusiasts or just whatever strange home listening. Disneyland haunted house and that kind of mm-hmm. stuff, yeah. Right. Records that had a purpose. So, like, a lot of times, I mean, how do you classify that? Records with an initial purpose? <laughs> that That's, I'm, you know, yeah. <laughs> that's really what we're looking at here is all this stuff were records that were made for an initial purpose or they were provided. So a lot of times... Um there would be souvenir records, you know, where, like, they were meant to be sold at Luray Caverns in Luray, Virginia, the the Leland Sprinkle uh, Stalag Pipe organ.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Have you guys heard this <laughs> no, great yeah, Stalag man, Pipe I, organ? I, yes,
3: I do, yeah. Wow, it, cool. I know about the so organ, So there were a bunch yeah. of
1: records that were made at, that were sold in the gift shop, mm-hmm. and they're exquisite records of the sounds of waters, water droplets coming off of these hundreds of stalactites. Wow. And while this organ that is it's got electromagnetic hammers that are tapping stalactites that were tuned or they were selected because of their tuning yes. right so there's uh, like a transducer on each one to grab the sound of it being hit by this electromagnetic hammer that's triggered by each of the 88 keys on the organ and comes back into loudspeakers that are then projected back into the cave so this is like uh it's quite a quite a sound phenomena going on here, and it's. Um, I mean that I don't know that's if we, we were talking about souvenir records, and there's also other ones of like farms and factories and other any place that would have a, a guided tour. You know, I got a little section for those.
3: A <laughs> guided factory too. tour so with a cool. record. Excellent, <laughs> so
0: cool. <laughs> what are the other pillars of this sort of realm we we're, we're talking about? when you initially
1: brought up to me the idea you wanted to go over novelty records and so that word is it's a broad word right like these records are all novelties to us but but in this the late 50s and early 60s that word was used to describe the then new subgenre of songs that were trying to get on top 40 radio with studio trickery stuff that like uh, David Seville, a.k.a. Ross Bagdasarian's early creations, Witch Doctor from 1958, and the first Alvin and the Chipmunks, 45, both from 1958. That same year, also Purple People Eater. <laughs> and so uh, when those songs hit, everybody was trying to figure out, you know, why, why do we like these kooky songs? Well, they have this little tape trickery that... Uh, Ross Bagdasarian designed of playing the master tape reel at half speed or whatever slower speed and having an overdub of the vocal in real time. But when you play the tape back at normal speed, then you've got the chipmunk sounding voice. And so people like Napoleon the 14th for They're Coming to Take Me Away, as we were talking, Mm -hmm. Mike, uh, took that kind of to another level. And there was just a, a, a flood of People trying to do smaller time productions of of songs that would have this some weird uniqueness, a stu- whether it's a sound effect or a, um, an electronic sound or a space theme to the song, or something that that enabled sound and noises and uh, studio trickery to 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 carry the song as as why it's listenable or unique. And so that's, I, I feel like that we could easily do a show in that room too. And for maybe for these listeners, if they haven't heard Pasquale and the Lunartics Moon Madness 45 from 1968, I feel like that's a, an essential listen uh, for something that would maybe make us scratch our heads. Like, who was this marketed to? This is almost a, a pop tune. It's almost a, a Trying to be a song, but it just gets so freaking wild <laughs> that it gets to this orgiastic level. That um, I mean, I, I that record sort of stands on its own. If you if you uh, I don't, know, I, I'm always left wishing there were a lot more records that were that cool.
2: <laughs> well, in a very different style for Noise Action, we're actually going to play some of this stuff yeah. that we've that we're talking about. I think this might be a cool first thing to play because we've talked about it
3: sounds essential you
2: mentioned it, and I think maybe this should be the first example of these sounds that we're talking about
1: absolutely like so yeah I, I, where we could we could potentially use the word misguided right, but it's not misguided in that they were made these records were made for some reason they 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 found a reason whether it was a pet project or whether they thought they could actually sell them oh so pizza on the moon I think this Pascual record might have been made by a pizza shop that thought that they could sell them because there's a song called pizza on the moon on the other side and they were trying to sell them at their pizza shop like i don't know if they had success doing that but the byproduct of that is that 50 years later we're gifted with this really unique record well
3: okay we gotta check this out now let's throw it on.
2: Oh, no, oh, oh. That is just, I mean, moon madness! Wow, that that they're ramping up and there's the absolute insane ending.
3: It's, it's exponential. It's wild. <laughs>
0: yeah, it just keeps going and building and building. Too, well, mention
2: which... you and you were saying we were listening to it. You know, you you it was reminding you of
1: of seeing a Crash Worship show.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I was
1: addicted to seeing them live at any possible opportunity in the '90s, and um because i had not experienced anything like it so i just had to keep returning because there's nothing is equal to it crash mm-hmm. worship were not a band they were an experience and this record is not just a record it's an experience to me like i i you know it's the kind of things it's a holy grail like it does hardly anything else <laughs> is,
2: when you were saying to at a point you can like things just there's a point where the tape it just, ha- it like, okay, now it's happening. There's
3: a break into madness. Yeah, you gotta yeah. wonder.
1: I mean, I would love to have a sit-down with the producer of this record or anyone who was a part of it that could give a little glimpse into, like, why and how. And maybe it was just a stoned jam, and they just spliced the tape together and sort of winged at it. It kind of sounds to me like they were winging it, and they were just surfing this
0: this studio trick that they <laughs> thought they would go to the moon with. And it seems to sort of come out of the exotica and sort of t- to a bit we just especially because of the moon reference the like space age bachelor pad like that's type stuff right but this is bonkers
3: yeah and it was common to use you know your own voice to make animal sounds another jungle were,
1: yeah mm-hmm. and in the early 60s you know there were a lot a lot of exotica lounge type records mm-hmm. where there was hooting and yeah. hollering and, and wordless vocals and a lot of these same elements, but just not quite as orgiastic as this, or as like <laughs> you know, really not as noisy as well, this. Well, it's on the moon.
4: Yeah.
3: Can you imagine going to a pizza parlor and buying this forty-five, putting it on well, when you I get found home? a,
1: few, a <laughs> few other records on the same label. It's a real small label, and uh, called Dino or Dino, and. The other records are not wild in any way. They're trying to be novelty 45s too or they're they're succeeding. But uh I uh, I I do wonder this must have been some sort of pet project label of one particular person that thought it was a good idea to do these things. Pasquale and his pizza parlor. <laughs> well, yeah, ex- oh yeah, dude, did we <laughs> so The other side is called uh Pizza on the Moon. And there were some picture sleeves, too. Don Bowles is the only one I know who's got a picture sleeve of this 45. Um, but uh, presumably 1968, there's no concrete evidence of when it was made, but that's that's a guess by some people. Uh, and maybe they were trying to sell it at their their pizza restaurant. Uh, I, like, how? <laughs> I don't, I, there's a lot of questions I got about this one
3: Well, and now it's like where do we go from here you know this whole time we're like huh, what, what do we want to dig into it's like well, no and after that
1: I don't know but I've been digging for that record for 20 years and haven't found an original copy of it if you have one <laughs> yeah. that you want to
4: <laughs>
1: yes. complete, yeah I've, it's just been at the top of my want list for like forever I, I'm tired of asking collectors or dealers if they've
0: seen one. They're like hen's teeth. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it is, as as we were already discussing, we've been trying to figure out what this episode is. And so I think we're we're going to play sort of a selection from all of these different things we've already been talking about and maybe some things we haven't talked about or we didn't know until we got there by this listening process, which is how we all discover things naturally anyway right you find one weird thing and then you find another and it's weird in a completely different way and that's that what's what leads you down this rabbit hole so for that where where do we go next what do you think is a good segue
1: i don't know there's three insect records sitting there and if we're going to like distill that into one there's the old scissors grinders on that one bookways that um or maybe it's the sounds of nature uh uh, that might be a cool little snippet to listen to. All right. Yes, to insect that records, awesome. Yeah, well, I
3: love throw, the sound. He
1: he tells you of the uh, scientific name of old scissors grinder.
5: The song of the swamp ground cicada is often confused with that of a very common species,
1: Tibison lineae, which usually sings from high in trees. The pulsations in the song of lineae are slower, and the song lasts thirty or forty seconds.
5: Here's the last part of a song of lineae.
6: A cicada whose song
1: pulsates more slowly is the Bison pruinosa, sometimes called the old scissors
5: grinder.
0: Those are wild. Those are things that just exist like in the world around us. And it
2: really did sound like... An
3: oscillator or something of that sort.
0: Yeah. Sawtooth being modulated.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The old scissors grinder.
0: What a cool name,
1: too. (laughs) And you you were speculating how these were actually recorded. Well, you're on a journey with them. You're, You're trying to figure out, or at least I'm trying to figure out if they were walking towards uh, Old Scissors Grinder or if, they, if it was in captivity uh, or if the um, insect was slowly coming towards where they were recording on his own, his or her own.
3: Yeah, his Old Scissors Grinder are like in another room and they're just waiting for yeah. it to be comfortable enough yeah. to sing because it doesn't sound like there's any other ambient sounds, like they're not right. picking anything else up. It's isolated.
1: Unlike the one we're about to hear. Even just the actual...
2: Fidelity of, like you're saying, like it's so clear and, like Tara said, there's no other sounds. Yeah, there's no wind, there's no
3: trees, there's no other cicadas because you know that sound. We were we were just. In a, in a place where cicadas were singing and you hear so many of them. It's not like one insect is singing out. It's everybody together. So this is so isolated. It, you just have to wonder how they did it.
0: The one where we just listened to was the Songs of Insects. And actually it has a little recording information on it and shows two different uh, recordists with their equipment and a, sort of a, two different sort of dish shaped or cone shaped things with microphones to pick up these sounds and they're sort of crouching through a field. So it has the the cover looks great and you can picture these guys out in the field trying to capture these things. This next one is Hold the Hold on,
1: real quick. Yeah. You guys want to take a stab at what year you think this was recorded? Oh no way. <laughs> Let me see. I mean, I to take don't a look, just, look just don't look at the back. Yeah. I won't look at the back. But take a
3: look at I was going to guess 58. So it's wow. it's the Sounds
1: of Nature label, a very uh pretty prolific so recordings I'm label.
2: gonna go. You tell you said 58. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna go with what by was? the one guy's look. I'm gonna go with. I'll just. I'll say yes. 57.
3: Oh, I see. I thought or you might go later. Price is
2: right style. I'm gonna go 62. But it's
3: in such a. It's. It looks so good. The well, record's then. pristine. It's gonna be like 74.
1: <laughs> no, no way. Well, if we were on Price is right, it would all be over. <gasps>
4: oh, there yeah. you go. Really? It, it, you,
1: yeah, it, uh, it's 56.
4: fifty six. Oh, I was wow. close. I was close, like but I went that over. That so. recording
1: is pretty. It yeah, that's
0: fifty six. Yeah, right? it was Wait.
3: great. Okay, well, we I love those dishes.
0: Yeah, they, the, the microphones they look professional. So now for the Folkways record, what's the title of this one? This one is sounds of insects. Yeah, sounds of insects as opposed to
1: the songs of insects. Well, I
0: think that that's actually a very important distinction to make because what you're going to hear is the sounds <laughs> of insects. Yeah, it's not a song yeah. for sure. <laughs> this
3: is this is
0: and, uh, terrifying.
3: Yeah.
0: Well, let's uh let's just get into it. Okay, a large longhorn beetle walking.
2: So you accidentally put on the new blockaders. So can we now listen to the <laughs> yeah.
1: the proper record? It, it kinda of sounds like a sound a sound check, right? Like like I mean it's to it, it definitely like feels
2: in. like it is the insect is walking on the mic or on it's a
3: contact mic, yeah.
2: You're getting other things that are different from the songs of insects.
3: And it feels like cardboard.
1: Okay, let's do the next one and then maybe we can pontificate.
4: All right. Shoot. Let's do it. Hit me. The housefly is caught and held by flypaper. Oh. That is one of the most
0: unpleasant sounds I've heard that, in a long time. That's that, was, set. that was very painful. The, you're hearing more of... I mean, you don't hear the recording process on the songs of insects. You hear the the actual sound that you're, they're trying to convey. This, I feel like you hear... It sounds like someone's futzing with the mic constantly or moving around and trying to capture these sounds. And it just doesn't... Uh, this is, to me, the,
1: this record is more of documentation of situations that they put these insects in so you're being told you're listening to an insect walking well you're listening to an insect walking maybe in a box cardboard box it sounds like on top of your contact mic or like your your (laughs) pzm or whatever you've got and like, this record it is the record. This is a
2: scholastic record yes. as well. So You're this sorry, was yeah, sent this, to... This
1: is the, the scholastic folkways. Uh, there, I have another <laughs> edition that's not the the school and it's identical. But the fact that they made one specifically for use in school libraries, uh, e- elementary school libraries. This one is from uh, Knight Education Incorporated.
3: It's wild because you really get the impression that none of these insects made it through the recording oh, alive. Oh, no, I would like, say that. Like none of be, them survived. Yeah, yeah,
2: like, yeah, this yeah, is yeah.
3: just like
2: insect yeah, murder. Definitely. Uh, yeah, it's really but it, but it's the really sound brutal. is, is fa- very fitting for that. Yeah. yeah I mean, insect insect records are definitely a I mean, it's a breed of their own, right? I we, mean, they're we just yeah, so what so what a strange an genre. Entire episode. Well, there's absolutely really and like great. you said i think this is really setting us up for a series of episodes with you that we're going to do more focused on specific
1: uh specific areas of these we're not seeing records coming out in the last 30 years of this ilk like this this was a bygone era right where people were fascinated enough with these sounds to make raw documents and Market them to an audience of what schools and, and uh, like, because is, is there an internet equivalent of this? Because it's just YouTube
3: videos now. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, I love Sounds of the Porcupine. How many times have I played that for you, Mike? So like, just, are
1: schools
2: employing <laughs> yes. the well, internet? That, it's hard to say. because yeah. I, And I do think there's something so different
1: about having them
3: contained yes. on
1: these records
3: and an official and, documentation and, of and them. And I
1: think also, I don't know, I can speak. Just firsthand that in elementary school, we would go into the library and we would put headphones on. And yeah. there were these, there were these, uh, I that would have multiple headphone out in this box where the teacher would put the record on and six or eight or 10 kids were listening to the same record focused listening with headphones on. Like, that doesn't really... That, does that happen I can't still? imagine wow.
4: that
2: there happens equivalent of today?
1: I can't just, imagine yeah. that happens still. I,
2: I doubt it happens for many uh, adults in yeah. just their everyday yeah. life. The idea of any sort of focused listening right. is seemingly
1: out the window. Like Folkways were leading uh, this path in that they also made a Todd Doc's daughter record that was on the Scholastic Folkways edition and to think that there are elementary school kids listening to Todd Dock's in the seventies or late sixties. It's like, really, it's cool that the new sounds and quote unquote now sounds were really embraced for a, a decade or two there. Avant-garde composers like John Cage were being featured on the silver burdette music series of like, <laughs> they would have a series of uh, orchestral composers or mm-hmm. you know, uh, Beethoven Bach Tchaikovsky, but then there'd be a, a a volume where John Cage and Pauline Oliveros and David Tudor would be on these. It's like pretty wild. Gordon yeah. Mooma. Gordon Mumma was featured on a children's record in the 70s. Can you believe that?
0: The relevancy is so different because we do have people making records like this, but they're marketed to people with sort of, you know, the like noise extra audience to people who are into field recordings and experimental sound and stuff. They're not in schools. They're not mass produced. They're very much more like a genre and niche thing now. Yeah. Where before they had seemingly a much wider appeal to the point where they were getting made by a place like Folkways that we, you know, now think of as sort of one of the the pillars of this kind of stuff, this anthropological recording, these all of these different situational Things and then you hear the record something like sounds of the junkyard or something like uh sounds of insects and it it sounds like absolute nasty garbage in the best way possible like it's the it's not uh what we would consider now to be sort of like field recordings nowadays i feel like sound they're much nicer insect records if you buy some insect CD, if you get the um what is it? Broken dragonflies. The the, oh, right. that, the uh, frequencies. yeah. Sublime frequencies. Did something yeah. like that. That sounds nice. That's a pleasant listening experience. This sounds of insects is not a pleasant listening experience, but, but yeah. it's a, yeah. It's also a, a capture to something that you might not hear even in a really crude way. So it it's still trying to accomplish the same thing, but does it differently because of maybe the means available, but also the the audience was wider and maybe less. Because it was wider, less discerning, then you're sort of more, I hate to use the word cultured listener, but someone who has more experience with this sort of stuff, whereas school children don't. Average people don't, but people who now seek this kind of stuff out because of the prevalence of these records throughout the years right, now do know what we're listening for.
1: Yeah, and let's step back one step that uh, academia was tied in across the board with all this. So there were electronic music studios that were... At colleges, universities, and there were recording, a field recording programs of a lot of these professors that were recording field recording uh, expeditions. They were all getting released on labels that were tapped into academia, and then also passed down to elementary school kids. Well, I feel like it's all in one big circular circuit, and nowadays it's just. Maybe there's too many different places where people are pulling their content from for education. It's back then there were I guess the technological advancements were all tied together.
3: And I, I think the oddity in in many of the things that we have heard today and discussed, it, you know, field recordings, you can imagine a casual listener and somebody just enjoying it, throwing it on, but imagining a casual listener for something like this. It's it's just so strange, and I think that's what you know sparks our imaginations and, and makes it so fascinating. It's just like what what was the audience and what was the application? And so many of these records, you're like, what is the audience, and and how are you? What are you supposed to do with this? Right, we I
2: understand right. someone being a fan of Francisco Lopez, for yeah. example, but who was the fan of? this this back then when they were coming out
0: yeah. obviously they were they were educational was it's it also more educational thing, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there was there were scientific and educational and so you could learn about something that you couldn't necessarily experience firsthand you cannot take a classroom full of kids to the junkyard so they can hear what it sounds like when they crush cars and oh
4: <laughs> well, that, <laughs> well, that maybe fun.
0: back i mean back then
1: I, I just feel like that was the whole lesson of sensory stimulus that was, you know, maybe back then it was more accepted to do something so quote unquote crazy. I don't know.
3: Yeah. We went to a waste treatment facility for wastewater. Did that as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's like a thing. That's.
2: You know, earlier in this episode, we discussed that Cook record, the Cook library record with yes. the the songs for making movies.
3: Home videos.
2: Well, yeah, before there was videotape, yeah, I think uh, that we should play an example of that okay for well the,
1: this um we can step back and and remind that this was like an absurdist take on that this was a not a I mean we could ask Emory Cook, but it seemed like his his sense of humor shows in this in that it's not uh. No, is it is it a realistic record that you could actually make home movies to? Or they, they just called it that? They they mocked it. Yeah, they mocked the act of doing that just as soon as there were other albums that were trying to do that for real. Let's Again, take late 50s, like 1958, I think. Let's take a listen.
5: the meat and pine. This
2: Do you think anyone made a
0: home movie? I with know. That's all I think. The, the dream
3: sequence is what that was called.
0: Well, I mentioned earlier, we previewed this one actually before we settled into doing this episode. And the one thing that it reminded me of was the movie Things.
2: <laughs> Definitely oh, in, in that world.
0: In that world. Like Richard, that, have you like, seen the movie Things? No,
2: tell me about it. It is a. Uh, sixteen, some super eight, six, some sixteen millimeter yeah. Canadian movie that is, the the sound is definitely that level wow. of off the wallness and incorrectness. Yes, I guess. nothing
0: nothing <laughs> matches up to kind of what's yeah, going the sounds on, are and bonkers. that's also true yeah. of the movie itself. Uh, just a total fever dream kind of thing, and that's the the closest oh, I thing see. I can think that's. Someone who would be like, oh, yeah, let's use this for our home movie would have to make something like that. But that's already into the 80s or I can't remember if that's late 80s or early
2: or like 1990, but this is late 60s. 65, right? And, and, it's, and, yeah, and it certainly
3: has a sense of humor like on the back. Fearless and uninhibited examination of the steamy backstage of audio land tells the bittersweet truth. Expose the secret dream life of audio maniacs.
1: So yeah, Emory Cook was quite the audiophile and I guess this was, you know, marketed to audiophiles. I mean, most of his label were field recordings of calypso bands or the ocean or trains and the he put out a handful of records that were weird one-offs that like probably pet projects that just tickled his fancy and he thought maybe they would appeal to his audiophile Uh, Listenership
0: certainly
3: audio maniacal. Yeah,
0: (laughs) he also did his own mastering and pressing, right? So these records, the Cook Laboratories records, have a a magenta hue to them when held up to the light. Everyone that I own does. They, they, you, they're. It's almost imperceptible if you're just Just looking at it.
2: Yeah, you have to hold it. It's very cool and a very unique way to press vinyl.
0: i had heard that he had formulated his own sort of mixture. He called it microsound.
1: Where, I don't know if that was his mixture. Yeah, I don't know. He he really was a pioneer of of audiophile ism. The microsound were the these white noise records that would have a jazz combo or a flamenco guitar with a layer of white noise layered on top of it. Like not quite. <laughs> it's supposed to be an audio analgesic
0: quote unquote these days the the equivalents probably like youtube and twitch streamer asmr with those ear microphones and people Mm -hmm. like just like clicking and licking and touching them and hanging stuff on them and rubbing it like that's would be sort of the same kind of intent it would be an asmr sort of thing to you know i mean same thing with those environments records and that sort of thing of like to soothe you to relax you to set you to help you focus or meditate or whatever
3: yeah, you can envision a listener like a person that would want to listen but,
0: to it, but with with like flamenco guitar and then just white noise over it.
2: Yeah, who was who was listening to this back then? Uh,
1: that's a good question. But there, these clearly were records that had an intent to them. They were made for a a purpose. Here, here's oh sorry. I step back. The series was called Microfusion White Sound. And there's one called Cocktail Combo that shows up here on Discogs. But there were a few other volumes of this. Uh, there's a flamenco guitar one. Unfortunately, I do
0: not have any of these. They're very, very rare. So we were... Talking about Cook Laboratories, and you pulled out another one that I, I of course, have never seen. These are, they could be really hard to come by in in record shops, especially I, I think a lot of the ones I found were sort of like thrift store or weird, weirder finds than sort of conventional, conventional record shopping. But this uh, earthquakes and seismographs oh, yeah. <laughs> record, wow. this amazing. World.
1: Oh, so um, there's one I really need called Mexican firecrackers. Wow. Um, yeah, it's like, it's late 50s and it's uh, just such powerful recordings of, of a festival, a Mexican festival of, of bombastic music and fireworks. But that, um, it's in the same series, the road recordings series of Cook Laboratories.
0: Which is the sort of field recording, yeah, location Sound recording C- ones, right? Yeah. So, um, which one is Oh, no, they're down here I've, loved, I've always loved the logo of the road recordings because it it ha- has this vaguely sort of ufo or like tripod overlord sort of look to it with it's, it's <laughs> yeah. like a backwards r joined with a forwards facing r and it's it's just kind of timeless
1: to me voice of the storm and voices of the sky are neither on the road recording series but i guess they could be um there's the rail dynamics that one's Also not on the road recording series. Sounds of Our Time, they like to call that that series. But Voice of the Sea was on it. Yeah, this one. I guess they made two different versions of it. So Voice of the Sea and Mexican firecrackers and Out of This World were all from this same road recording series. Are we
3: going to sample these firecrackers?
2: Oh, he doesn't have
1: firecrackers. Yeah, that may or may not be on the internet. Um, But uh, Out of This World is in our hands, and we can sample it now. We're going to hear it. VLF, radio phenomena, and earthquake sounds. Uh, ionospheric swishes, whistlers, and tweaks is what they refer to that, the VLF phenomena.
6: Well, Don chorus, on the other hand, is not uh, at all well understood, and there is no theory... Uh, to explain it. It's known to correlate, uh, in a rough sort of way, with occurrence of the aurora and magnetic storms. We are eagerly looking forward to a chance to uh, observe visible aurora and listen to the dawn chorus, and see if the uh, dynamic behavior uh, of the two phenomena uh, correlate in any obvious way as you observe them simultaneously. This is uh, certainly in the realm of conjecture at this point, and uh, simultaneous observations of the dawn chorus and the visible aurora might uh, give some clues as to whether this is uh, a
5: possibility at all. Uh, Well, Dr. Morgan, let's get back to the subject of whistlers again. Uh, Let's listen again to a whistler, and uh, maybe this time to one that bounced back and forth not just once, but five or six times between the northern and southern hemispheres. that this uh, manifestation takes place as a result of some rude and abrupt electrical shock such as a bolt of lightning taking place.
6: That's right. Uh, After all, the the excitation of the ionosphere by a bolt of lightning is uh, uh, pretty much like uh, hitting the ionosphere with a hammer exciting uh, across the the full frequency spectrum. You can hear lightning crashes uh, on the very high frequencies and uh, in the usual communication frequencies, uh, in the broadcast band, at low frequencies where aircraft warning beacons operate, and even... Uh, at audio frequencies such as these which uh, produce the swishes or whistlers.
5: I've only been exposed to this uh, situation now for a a short time (laughs) and it's hard to dig in and find some way to relate it to uh, something we know about. Let me try this out as a metaphor on you. Uh, Let's compare the lightning stroke to a deck of cards.
0: And now here's those same recordings without the description bits. So you can sort of hear what they would be as, as a noise record.
3: You know, I scoffed at the liability disclaimers on the back of the record until we just heard it. And here's what it says. Earthquakes for home use it is understood as a condition of the sale that Cook Laboratories Incorporated will in no way be responsible for damage to this phonograph. And it may cause damage to equipment directly or indirectly for users with wide range woofers. This disclaimer shall be construed to include neighbors as well, dishware and pottery
2: absolutely (laughs) that is a crazy so we listened to the earthquake sounds and that was i mean it really did the needle was absolutely it was wiggling
3: everywhere it was crazy
0: dancing that needle was dangerously so before that it was the ionosphere recordings which sound what was that the dawn chorus that we heard Yeah. yeah so this was the
1: aurora borealis right like um Later on in the 80s and 90s, Stephen P. McGreevy would make a bunch of recordings of this very thing that uh, folks at Anomalous and uh, Aquarius would be peddling these CDs to people curious because uh, there haven't been that many people to be making and distributing recordings of of the ionosphere uh, going through magnetic disturbances mm-hmm. uh, to be able to amplify, to hear these uh these things that we normally can't hear.
3: It sounded yeah. incredible. No, it's phenomenal. I I love the the swoops, the sweeps. What what were the the terms? Yeah. yeah. Whistlers. <laughs> the whistlers. Tweaks. That's right. They're so good.
1: I Swishes. wishes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Again, so this was tied to Dr. MG Morgan at the Thayer School of Engineering
0: at Dartmouth. There's a great photo of MG Morgan on the back there, too. Yeah. He's got a <laughs> boss proto pompadour thing (laughs) into it (laughs) so uh, when i when i listen to this and when i think of these records another thing that always comes to mind to me and one of those things that, that i've been collecting as long as i've been finding them because they always have weird sounds on them even though they're kind of traditional sounds for their intended purpose and if you've ever I mean, if you like in the in the days when CD players were new and in stores, when you bought a CD player, you might have gotten a a test CD with it. That was a thing they did with hi-fi equipment, you know, before it became Mm -hmm. very consumer grade when it was a little bit more specialized. And same thing with records. You might have a test record to calibrate your turntable to hear the frequency range your speakers and amplifier can output. And these seem to be very popular because they were everywhere or at least you can find so many different varieties of them. Like I, I pretty much buy these when I come across them and they all have different frequency bands or weird sounds, white noise, random noise, uh, frequency sweeps, test tones on them. Sometimes they're lock grooves. So as someone seeking out weird records, they're, they're, they're strange records that are also full of just weird sounds.
2: Is it, is it, are these put out by specific labels or is it,
0: I mean, there's a Cook Laboratories one. Uh, I think you'll see a handful here as Mitchell has just grabbed a stack of test records from the other room.
3: Calibrating your surround sound.
0: Yeah.
6: Now we come to a procedure designed to adjust your record player to the acoustics of the room in which you are listening and to match it to your own hearing mechanism. This adjustment is done by matching the loudness of selected test tones against a pilot tone consisting of a 1000 cycle per second pink noise band.
0: I don't know. There's uncomfortable frequencies and gross white noise and weird intermittent panning. All of them are different with these test records. You know, like they all they all have something weird going on with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes there's some like smooth jazz on them. Sometimes there's just frequency sweeps and different tones. And I don't know why that we seek them out or you know like I couldn't tell you why I buy them I think they oftentimes they look really cool the ones we're looking at here look really cool I like that audio system test record got it, that great like really it seems
1: like the goal is supposed to be the same right I mean they're, they're
0: all for configuring your stereo for exactly. optimum listening and making sure it can handle or what frequency range it can handle so you know what it's lacking or if you needed to improve something or you calibrating your needle, skate, your speakers. you gotta
1: adjust the weight of your tone arm yeah or, you gotta
2: have you ever, either of you, used these records to
1: do what they were intended
4: to achieve? To do? Maximum yeah, it listening has pleasure. Helped
1: me when I've like uh, noticed some uh, faults happening when I'm listening to to other records, and I'm thinking like, okay, I'm gonna try listening to a pure tone and uh, listening to some of these exact records and adjusting my tone arms. It it, it really they're tools, yeah.
0: One of the most famous records we already referenced earlier, and we're just going to put some snippets of this here for you to enjoy after the fact, I guess. Right. Yeah. We're going to end the end, this episode with one of the classics.
2: And then <laughs> over on the Patreon, we're going to have a little sample of some other stuff that maybe we didn't even talk about today. That's going to be for the patron. So the extra segment today will be a Sonic segment not a talking
3: segment. Mm. Yeah, there's just too much to cover. We can't go through everything. And, it's wild.
2: And like we yeah. said, this is really an introduction episode to future episodes where we're yes. going to focus on one part of this entire world because there's so much more to get into. And Mitchell is the person Did yeah, we got no go- ships?
3: You, uh, yeah there's so the much ships? more there's fun.
2: so that, much more to get into no this this weather too much fun it is it, yeah this, no this is this <laughs> has been a blast and we can't wait to do multiple
1: episodes <laughs> of the Mitchell so thank you so much for doing this oh, with it's us. completely my pleasure this is just a like pig and shit kind of experience
4: yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: but, I mean the sounds of the junkyard is really one of the classics of this world yeah it's I it's incredible
0: once you get into this stuff and start seeking these records out, it's one of the one of the big ones that I think everyone kind of looks for and and references. Uh, there's a bunch more of uh, records that I find absolutely terrible to listen to. That are like like how do you mean terrible? Well, I know that you hate two of these that I will reference right now. One of which is uh, a child's cry. Yeah, it's made by Pfizer to
1: discern what.
3: Pain cries versus, you know, just whining and other sounds that infants to, make. To, yeah, it's unsettling.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, it's meant to diagnose mm-hmm. what your child may or may not have yeah. based on his or her disease or sickness. abnormal cry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You. So, I mean, we could listen to that next well, time. Well, yeah.
2: I know, and actually, since that was the first one
0: you mentioned, I know exactly what the second album, uh, which used. I think I've also referenced on here. It's actually a double CD, but "Dog Pound Found Sound," which is. Uh, recordings of an animal shelter in new york uh oh. and it's on un- it's Don't animals slated to be uh, one, one of the first times oh. yeah. we yeah. hung out with you you put that on <laughs> okay. uh, it's I was a different person back then. I can't remember the last time I put this we thing. We accept on, your apology. Very. I don't know that I was apologizing. Well, you know what? I'm going to pretend. It, much like the
2: first movie that Tara and I watched together <laughs> was *Cannibal Holocaust*, yes. and look at us today. That's the one of the first things you played us, and look at us today. So you know what? These things
0: yeah. bring us. It's a litmus together.
3: test to the extreme. It's, it's a yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, very very uncomfortable sound sort of thing. So some of these some of these records we're going to talk about are not. Uh, pleasing to the ears necessarily but they're also they're still interesting and in fact sounds of the junkyard i would say is uh well you'll hear it for yourself right now that's right well thank you so much thank you
2: so much mitchell thank you yes. we'll be doing This, this was great. again in the future for sure and everyone let's end it out with
1: some sounds of the junkyard Did I put a request in for the torch the
0: oh the acetylene torch yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. Sure. By request. <laughs>
3: Listening to Noise Extra. Noise Extra is brought to you by Chondritic Sound, a home to noise artists for over 17 years, by Verdant Weapons, maker of quality contact microphones and noise devices, and by our Patreon supporters. You can find our Patreon at patreoncom noiseextra and your support really helps. You can find us on Instagram at noise extra, on the web at noisextra.com, one e and those, and on Twitter at noise extra with three A's at the end. Thank you for listening to us and to noise.